So as we've looked into this passage, we've seen the first part. The first part is the easiest to get out of the passage. That's that you need to have faith like a child. And that's where most people stop with this passage. But if that's where we stopped, it would be a terrible story. What if Peter Pan found the things that he had been looking for? He found that he was the Pan. He found that he could fly. He found all these great things, and that's where the story stopped. It would be a terrible story. He would not be the hero. And there's this point in the movie Hook where that is about to happen. Let's check it out. Sick. Maybe you need a band-aid. Or a thermometer. Thermometer make it all better. That's how Nibs made the Wendy lady better. Oh, no, Peter. It's not about that. Oh, yes, it is. Nibs put the thermometer in now. Got all that. Tink, don't we have the greatest adventures? Do you remember your next great adventure to save your kids, Peter? Kids? Peter Pan's got kids? So we come to this transition point in the movie where Peter Pan has gotten back all of his abilities. He's gotten back the ability to fly. He's gotten back those fantastic green tights. <laughs> he's also gotten back his childlike spirit. But he's forgotten that all of that stuff is for something greater, a greater cause. He's forgotten completely that his kids are still 
in Captain Hook's ship and under threat. If he would have stopped there, if the movie stopped at that point and he would have just left his kids there, he would never have been a hero. He would have been a villain. Kids, do you know what a villain is? Here, let me, let me help you out. This, this, do you know this? This is a villain. Darth Bear, right? A bad dude. <laughs> Sorry, Darth Vader. I apologize. If we would have stopped there, Peter Pan would have been a villain, leaving his kids because he had found something for himself. And if we stop that at this place in this passage, that's what we would be as well. But a lot of people do it. It happens to us. We read this passage and we say, wow, I need faith like a child. It happens to scholars. I was reading commentary after commentary to prepare for this message, and they talk so much about how this applies to us adults, how it applies to the church, how it applies to your faith as an adult, and they forget that there is actually a little kid standing in front of Jesus. It even happened to the disciples. They missed it. And we know that they miss it because Matthew gives us another passage right after this. Where the disciples are all standing around and this little children, these little children come up. It's in Matthew 19. If you just flip the page in your Bible, Matthew puts it right there. It says, the little children were brought to, to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said, and you don't get it as much in Matthew, but if you read this in the other Gospels, it says that Jesus was indignant or he was angry. He was hot. He was mad that they said, hey, get those kids out of here. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. So the disciples even missed it. It wasn't just about the faith like a child. It was actually about the children as well. God cares about these children. Children matter to God. So let's go back to chapter 18 and read verse 4 to 6 with that in mind. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Do you see Jesus as being angry? Sometimes we think like flannel graph Jesus. He always has a sheep and he walks around and he's always like this. But Jesus is angry. There are times when Jesus is angry in the Bible and this is one of them. He's talking about the disciples missing it. And he says, if you lead one of these kids astray, it'd be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and be thrown into the sea. And that is not flannel graph Jesus. That's not vacation Bible school Jesus. Like they never, the old lady who taught your vacation Bible school class was never like, hey, here's the millstone. Here's you. Don't do this or you go over. Like that, that just all kind of gets left out of the children's version of this. But Jesus takes this very seriously. Children matter to God and he expects them to matter to us. He expects them to matter to you. And some of you walked in this service and you were like, a family service? I don't have a family. I don't have any kids. Like, I'm in college. I'm doing my own thing. This is talking to you as much as it's talking to me, a father of children. The church is responsible for the children of this church, the children of this community, and the children that God wants to bring into his kingdom. So how does this work out? 
Well, there was this group called the Fuller Youth Institute, and they wrote a book. And like, I work with students all the time, so I'm super interested whenever somebody comes out with something that tells us how to bring children into their faith as adults, which means they start with the faith in Jesus that you handed them. How does that faith then become their old, their own? And the Fuller Youth Institute did a bunch of research to say what makes faith stick from the time a child believes it to the time they're an adult. What makes that transition stick? Because right now, about 40 to 50 percent of kids who grew up in the church walk away from their faith when they transition into adulthood. So what makes their faith stick? So this is an awesome book. If you've never read it, even if you don't have kids, you should read it. And I'm going to give one away right now. So if your birth, does anybody have a, <laughs> I see that hand. Does anybody have a birthday on Christmas? No? None of those people who don't get any gifts? That's right. Jesus. Good job. I should have asked the kid. Like I was just like the disciples. <laughs> should have just asked the kid. Does anybody have a birthday the week of Christmas? Within a week. Perfect. Here you go. Sticky Faith book for you. <gasps> so in this book, there you go. There you go. If you don't have it, you should buy it. We have it at our resource uh, center. And if you don't have enough money to buy it, just tell me and I'll give you one. So in this book, they, uh, some researchers looked at what makes faith stick in the long term. And they found a whole bunch of things. They don't call anything a silver bullet because they say there's not one thing that you can do to make your child's faith stick. But they call them silver shavings, little pieces here and there, things that come alongside of your child's faith and help it to stick. One of the things that they found is that there has to be a community of faith supporting your child. If you're a kind of your parents and you're thinking like, we are going to lead our child into faith in Jesus and we are going to help them have this faith as an adult, like you're missing out on a bigger part of the story. You cannot lead your child all the way there. And I know that because I work with middle schoolers and high schoolers. Like when they're little kids and you say, hey, here's what Jesus did for you. And it would be awesome if you choose him. They're like, okay, that's great. When they're in middle school, they're like, questionable. Mom and dad are telling me this. When they're in high school, they're like, what did you say? Whatever you said, it must be the opposite of that. So there's this transition period where you no longer are the cool one. They don't think you're the hero. You need other people to come alongside of you and support that same faith. In this book, they suggested that you have a five to one ratio, which means that five other people outside of your family, direct family unit, would support that faith. Not just the parents, but other people would come along and support that faith. And it means you as a parent need to look for those opportunities. It means you as a college student in this church need to look for opportunities to be one of those five. It means that you and me are a part of that. And I know that it's true and that it works because it's a part of my life. So I've got a picture I'm going to put up here real quick and just talk about some of the people who played into my own development, this sticky web, as they call it. So that's me in the middle with some of our surge kids, our middle schoolers, who I love. They're awesome. And then around that are some of the people that played into my own faith story. So if you start at the top right corner, that's one of my grandfathers, Grandpa Stanley. And Grandpa Stanley, like if you start talking about him, he automatically, everybody's like, oh, that's so cool. He, was, uh, he flew planes in World War II. He, that he's sitting in front of a race car right there. He had a race, racing team for a while. And when I grew up, I hung out with this guy, and I learned pieces of my faith from him. But they were very different from what a lot of times we think would be like the outward signs of faith. Because he wouldn't be the one who would preach. He wouldn't be the one who would say, hey, this is how you can know Jesus. There was very little talk 
of his faith. Most of his faith was in action. He was the one who would greet people at the door of his little church each week with a handshake or a hug, and people looked forward to meeting him there. He was the one who would mow the grass. And my grandfather was already old at that time, but his friend was even older. This guy, Cleo, I think was at least 104 years old. And they would go out there and they would mow the grass together every week. And they didn't tell anybody about it. They never got paid for it. But they led by the way that they served. If the toilet was clogged and overflowing, they would walk in and they would fix it. So he taught me that part of my faith, faith through service. And then there's my other grandfather, Grandpa Hershey. And Grandpa Hershey had been a pastor for his entire life, since he was a teenager. He had been leading people to Jesus through his words accompanying his actions. And he was very different from Grandpa Stanley. He could tell anybody about Jesus. Anytime, any place. I remember being in the grocery store and uh, this one time and he's talking to the lady in the line and he's like, hello, how are you? And she's like, I'm fine. How are you? And he's like, my name is Chester. And she's like, my name is Mary. And he's like, do you know Jesus? And I'm like, oh, this is taking an awkward turn. And she's like, no, I do not know Jesus. And he's like, would you like to? And she's like, yes, I would. And I'm like, what just happened? How did we get from this to this? And by the end, she's praying and I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know. And she's like, whatever it was. Like, so he could lead people to Jesus through his words and his actions. And he gave me that piece of my faith. And then moving around, we've got, there's a guy that I don't even have a picture of. His name was Joe Heibach. And he was my Sunday school teacher sometime in elementary school around first or second grade. And he must have been the most unlikely candidate to be a Sunday school teacher Ever. He was like 80 years old, this German scientist, and he came in and like, you know, the children's director must have been like, what do you want to do? And he was like, I will work with the children. That's a terrible accent. I do terrible. They all get blended together. The kids always tell me that they all get blended together. But he's like, has this thick German accent. And he's like, I'm going to work with the children. And she's like, no, like you, you can do something else. And he's like, no, I'm going to work with the children. And so he showed up regularly and he poured into our lives. And there was this time when we were talking about Samson. You know, children, kids, you know who Samson is? The guy with the big muscles? We're talking about Samson. And all of us are like, this is a crazy story. Like when you get to the end and he pushes down the building, seriously, that's crazy. And Joe Heibach is like, no, it's not crazy. And he goes home and he builds a wooden scale model of Samson in the Philistine temple. And he brings it back and the, the whole thing works. It's not just like a, a model that doesn't do anything. He's like, watch this. If he's standing in this place and he pushes his arms out at these two poles, the whole structure comes down and we're all like, and he pushes it and Samson goes, boom, and the whole thing comes down. All these little kids are like, yeah! And he gave me that part of my faith because later on people would say, you can't believe, nobody smart believes this stuff. And I was like, a rocket scientist, he was a rocket scientist at Lockheed Martin, a rocket scientist believes this stuff. I can believe this stuff too. He gave me that piece of my faith. And then the next one, we've got this guy, Brian. We were in middle school. I was in middle school. My brother was in high school. And this guy just kind of randomly came into our life. I have no idea how he found our church or anything, but he just showed up. And he was fresh out of the Air Force. And he had a bunch of time on his hands. And he just started pouring into our lives. And he loved to play volleyball. And he loved to hang out. And he loved music. And he loved all this stuff that we really like to do. And he would just say, do you want to come along with me? And we would spend 
hour after hour after hour hanging out with this guy. And he also had a jet ski, which kind of like, you're awesome if you have a jet ski to a middle schooler. And so we would spend so much time. We got to learn about faith. He is one of the most humble people I've ever met. And I remember the time we went to his parents' house in Illinois or somewhere up there. And his mom's like, yeah, you like, you like hanging out with Brian? I'm like, yeah. She's like, oh, he was always the favorite. Like when he, was in home, when he was in high school, he was the homecoming king. And I'm like, what? The homecoming king? He has never, I had known him for a long time at that point. I'm like, he has never said anything about that. And Brian's standing there and he kind of like looks a little like a shame that his mom actually said it out loud. And he's like, it wasn't a big deal. It was a small school. You know, like he taught me about humble faith and being a consistent follower of Jesus day after day after day. He stood up next to us throughout our adolescent years, and he also stood up next to me at my wedding as one of my groomsmen. And then we go around, and we've got two youth pastors who poured into my life and are still pouring into my life. The bottom left is Pastor Dan, who's now a pastor out in West Orlando. And Pastor Dan taught me that the things that I do in life matter. He wasn't the one to sugarcoat stuff. He was the one that freaks high schoolers out. Our high, school, our high school guys hate when I do this. But he was the one that would come and ask you questions, real questions about your life. Like, what are you doing? What is, what is that that's going on? Is that really the best thing? He was the one that would ask those real questions. And he was teaching me that what I did actually mattered. It affected me and it affected others. And then there was Chip, the guy up there on the left, another one of our youth pastors, and he taught me that the word of God actually mattered. The Bible actually mattered. Whereas in Sunday school, a lot of times we were just kind of hanging out. He brought in one time the harmony of the gospels, which lays all the gospels next to each other. And you say, what can we learn by reading these stories of Jesus in parallel? He gave me that faith when I was still in high school. And now he moved in next door to me. Like he's just not gonna let my faith go. He's gonna make sure... He really did move in next door to me. And then we've got up top, Miss Vicky. And this one, everybody needs a Miss Vicky in their life. Vicky Hardy was uh, one of our high school sponsors, youth volunteers at the church that I went to. And she was just the little old church lady. She didn't have a whole lot going for her that high schoolers would think was cool, except for that she really knew how to cook. And she did it well, and she would offer all these baked goods. So all these high school guys all of a sudden are like, what? Oh, baked goods. Oh, I'll take those. So she led us by showing up regularly, by caring about us, by serving us. And there was a time when I was in high school, and she was standing next to me, and I was in ninth grade, I think, kind of in that awkward phase, you know, like middle schoolers kind of grow out this way, and then high schoolers kind of grow out this way. And I was kind of in between those two phases and feeling real awkward about myself. And I was standing next to her, and we were singing in worship. And she looks over at me, and she's like, you know, you could lead worship. And I was still in that cracky voice, middle schooler kind of phase. And I was like, oh, I could. Oh, that'd be great. And she called out something that was not true at that moment, but could be true. To encourage doesn't mean that you build up, you fluff up just for no reason. It means that you hand courage to someone to do the things that they could do so that they can be the person that God has called them to be. And within a year, I was leading worship in our student ministry, and I still lead worship here with our students. And it's so awesome that she gave me that piece of my faith. And I could go on and on and on. There are dozens and dozens of people who have poured into my faith in huge ways. But I know that it makes a difference because it made a difference in my life. When I got to that transition point between high school and adulthood, 
There was no question that my faith would stick. My faith had already stuck because of the community that had raised me up. So the challenge for today is twofold. Remember, there are two parts to this talk. The first one is that God wants you to be in relationship with him as a child. And that's where some of you need to hang out this week. Some of you need to ask the question, is there a God? Does he really care? And what would it look like to follow him? Spend as long as you need on that question, but don't spend any longer than you have to. When you figure that out, choose to hand over your life to Jesus. It's not difficult. Some people make it this big process, but all you have to do is say, Jesus, my life, I can't control it myself. I want you to take control of it. And then the second thing is if you've already chosen to follow Jesus with your life, is that God wants you to care for the little ones around you. Figure out ways to do that. Serve in base camp with the little kids. When you see children or students coming in, let them know that you love that they are here. Model faith. Come alongside of families. Make it your goal to bring along all who are a few steps behind you. This isn't just about kids. All these things also apply to those who are just a few steps behind you. So look for those people and pull them along in their faith. Jesus said, let the little children come and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. If you would, reread that verse this week. Try to memorize that verse. Let the little children come and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. God wants to go after every lost boy and every lost girl. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you taught this story, these words, to your followers surrounded by and even with a child in the middle of them. We thank you that there's truth in this passage for every adult in this room, that we so often think we have control, we think we make our own way, but God, that we know inside that that's not true. We know that you know better than we do. Inside, we can feel that there's a God bigger than us who's reaching out to us. So I pray that you would help us to step back behind your leg and let you stand up for us, that we would open our grip on the things that we've been holding so tightly to and give them back to you. And then the second part, God, I pray that you would help us to love the children of this community well. That we would lead these children towards you. And that we would be led by them. Just like you called your disciples to learn from the children. That we would also not think that we have it all figured out so much. That we don't listen to the prayers of the children. That we don't listen to the hearts and the songs of the children around us. And let them lead us back to you. We thank you that you love us and that you love these children. In your name, amen.